This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. This government is supposed to protect us. We have a constitution. I should have the right as an American to voice my opinion freely without looking over my shoulder thinking someone's going to come and get me or cancel anything, Twitter or anything else. So it's a big deal. And Elon Musk, everything he touches seems to turn to gold. He seems like a really good guy. All the evidence points to the fact that Elon Musk is a great American. He agrees with most conservative thinking. Free speech must be protected. Is anything more important for the survival of our democracy in the United States of America? The ability to worship the way we want, express our opinions. If somebody controls some major segment of our society, how do we protect ourselves so that they don't exert the kind of influence that disrupts our ability to have free speech. Now we got Elon Musk. What are we doing to ensure that no matter who it is, that we're going to be able to see all sides, both sides, three sides, five sides, every opinion out there without somebody censoring trousers and motorcycle boots and a black leather jacket with his name on the back. He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Ride Radio. His name is New York Mike and welcome to the show. This is Roll Right Radio on New York Mike. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being there. Thanks to all my subscribers. Yeah, growing downloads. I guess that's what they call them. There's a lot going on today, and a couple of things I want to talk about, but I want to start talking about National Guardsman Specialist Bishop Evans, who drowned while trying to save two illegal aliens who were crossing the Rio Grande River that he was assigned to. Okay, so the Texas National Guard has been deployed to Eagle Pass, Texas, and other places along the border because we just can't have these open borders, people coming in. And as Trump said when he came down the escalator, all these criminals, rapists, drug dealers, drugs, cartel-sponsored everything, and all the rest of it, it's all coming in. And it's coming in in record, unbelievable numbers. And so the National Guard has been deployed by Governor Abbott of Texas. and. Yeah, we have this specialist, 22-year-old Bishop Evans, a 22-year-old National Guardman. He's already spent time in Kuwait, in Iraq, and he sheds his heavy gear and his walkie-talkie and his cell phone. He jumps into the river to save these two, whatever you want to call them. You want to call them immigrants? I mean, he's there trying to help with this situation. It's a crisis. It's an absolute crisis. and he drowns trying. Of course, turns out that both these illegal aliens were also drug smugglers coming across. This is tragic. This is serious tragic on top of all the rest of it. Is any of this going to hit home to this administration? By the way, so far, no word from the president. No word, not a word. 
if anything should have gotten this president to get down the border or at least send his uh, border czar, Kamala Harris, the vice president, down to the border, to the home of the family of Bishop Evans. This guy's a national hero. I mean, all these guys are heroes. But here's a guy that drowned trying to save two people who were struggling in the water. He didn't try. He saved them. He saved them at the cost of his own life. There was no reason to have this happen. There's no reason for the National Guard, if we had continued to finish the wall and all the other things, stay in Mexico and everything else. But no, they basically have this free-for-all crossing the border. And it's wrong, and we're paying a price. And now we've seen it come home to the family of Bishop Evans. A man was killed, a National Guardsman. I hope people in the country understand the seriousness of this. These current military members protecting this country, they give their lives. And here we have a 22-year-old at the border dying. You know, he sees the struggling of the water. They're immigrants. He doesn't know what their situation is. He just knows these are human beings who are struggling, and he jumps in to save them. What a sad situation. But it's also a horrible commentary on how this administration, how this country, you know, we could say this administration, we keep blaming it on Biden. Biden blames everything on Putin. Let's take responsibility as Americans for what's going on. There's a lot of other things going on. A lot of good news, especially with Elon Musk having just bought Twitter. And there's a lot of implications to that that I want to discuss. I always want to discuss motorcycle issues. And we had a great weekend this weekend. The Booze Fighters Motorcycle Club here in San Diego had their annual overnighter way out there in Hakumba. I was out there last year the president of uh, Chapter 101, and then, by the way, the president of Snowman. It's his overnighter, the president of the local chapter, the Booze Fighters. So they invited me last year. This year, my friend Robert Patrick was riding out to be there for a board meeting they had at 10 o'clock in the morning. We speak a couple of times during the week, and he mentioned it to me on Thursday, and it sounded like he was leaving L.A. at four o'clock in the morning to get there. It's a long ride from here, a cumber, way the hell out there. And so I said, okay, you know what? Why don't I meet you and I'll ride there. I didn't want to ride alone. Well, he wasn't alone. We met in uh, Carlsbad at uh, Starbucks and he was with my other friend, Sean. So <laughs> it was uh, actually kind of cool. I got there and I go, wait a minute. I came out here because, you know, I knew Robert was riding alone. But Sean McNabb was riding with him. If I knew that, I probably would honestly wouldn't. <laughs> I don't think I'd say I'm, I'm going to get up and meet him. I met him at 7 o'clock in the morning. Unusual for me. <laughs> I'm just not one of those real early riser guys. So met him at Starbucks and there's Sean McNabb. And we had a good time. Spent a good half an hour having coffee, catching up. And all that. Then we got on the bikes and rode out, not a hundred and something miles. You go out to Hakumba, 
all the way out eight towards Arizona. You're almost in, you know, it's way out there. And the ride, it's always windy going out there. It's either hot or it's cold. It's always something. And then you get out there and where Snowman has this event, you get to the Acumba exit all the way down. You get off the exit. There's a cool shell station there with a helicopter and a big POW MIA flag. It's kind of cool. But then you're on a dirt road. <laughs> yeah, I did this last year. It was riding on dirt. It's just something I just really don't like. But on this dirt, it's particularly bad. So you do about nine miles on this dirt road, and then you get to this nudist place. Now, don't get me wrong. They take over the whole thing. You don't see a lot of, there's not a lot of that going on. But it's isolated. It's way out there in the middle at no place. And it's on dirt. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And so we get there. Getting there was a little bit crazy because we actually got off at the wrong exit. Sometimes you follow the GPS. If you put in a name or something, I think we put in some Hotel California out there in Acumba. So we followed it. We said, we got off. We said, wait, wait, this isn't right. So we turned around, did about 20 miles out of the way, got back on the freeway. Boom, the next exit. There we were. Everything worked out. We get on that dirt. The bike is just shaking and rattling. But we got there. It was cool. And Robert got there in time, just in time, which I love that, for the board meeting. And I got to hang out with a lot of boost fighters. There were a couple of other clubs that I've known over the years that come out to support a snowman's event. So we had a good time, hung around and just laughing and joking and hanging out. It was uh, kind of cool. I, I can't describe it more than that. Got to see our old buddy Dozer. Dozer's one of the other two guys. It was Dozer and Tony Tutos involved in that horrible crash that we had coming back from Washington, D.C. I think it was 2012. My God, time flies. And so Dozer's been struggling. He went from a bike to a three-wheeler, and now he's getting around in one of them electric things that it's not quite a wheelchair, but he needs to get around. And good to see him. Now, his wife, Martha, I call her St. Martha, because when he was injured, he punctured his lug. His bike hit Tony's bike. Tony was really messed up in a lot of pain. Doze's bike, he was trying to get around the crash, and he hit Tuto's bike and hit the guardrail and punctured his lung. Those is a big guy. He's in the hospital there in Vegas. And Martha comes down. And, man, she took care of him. They were in the hospital for a long time. Tony was in, I think, for a lot longer than Doza. But Doza was in there for a while, at least a month. And Martha was just great. Katrina got me through cancer. and It took a lot. It always takes a lot. But you got to acknowledge those caregivers that are there for you. And, boy... Martha was just phenomenal. So she was there. So many people that I've known over the years that I don't get to see a lot anymore because I don't have the dealership. So it was good to get to see them hanging out with Bobby Krause, Gamer, all these guys. And it was kind of cool. So 
bunch of them I didn't get to see because when the board meeting was over, Robert came back and we spent a few minutes with Doza hanging out. And, you know, everybody wants to take their picture with Robert. And that was really cool. I've never seen Robert Patrick turn down anybody that wants to hang out, talk, get an autograph, a picture, whatever it takes. Just the most gracious guy. I say that a lot. But every time we together and we ride and hang out, it's not a revelation, but it's kind of cool to see. But anyway, we hung out. We were there for a solid three or four hours, as it turned out. Got on the bikes, headed back. I was out of gas. We got down the dirt road all the way through that again. Got to the Shell Station, gassed up. Got back on the freeway and zoomed back. <laughs> it was a great ride. I'm riding behind Robert and Sean, cutting through everything, having a fun ride. There were a lot of cars out there. It's Saturday, so it wasn't really crowded. Just enough to make it interesting. I wouldn't call it traffic or anything extraordinary. But we got back to the same Starbucks where we met in the morning. <laughs> which was a little over 100 miles. Hung around, had some Starbucks and ate something and all that. And just had a good time. And so we spent another half an hour, 45 minutes, the I rode home. And that same day was my friend Frank Ops birthday. I was supposed to go meet Frank and all his friends. Petrina ended up going there by herself. So she rode out to Temecula, met everybody. They rode out. The Josie's Hideaway, is it Hideaway or Hideout? I don't know. It's up there on the 76, out in the middle of no place. It's a great place. Great food. Just a, a fun place. Fun biker hangout anytime. But turned out that about 30-something bikes turned out for Frank's birthday party. So I felt better. I didn't feel like I was missed. But I certainly missed celebrating Frank up anything. The guy's a great guy. He's done a lot for me as a veteran. And that's pretty cool right there. But it was a good day all in all. Petrina had a good day. I spoke to Frank later. He had a great day. It was, it was cool to ride motorcycle this weekend. And I, again, want to remind everybody that Rolling to Remember is coming up. It's going to be a big weekend. Memorial Day weekend, Washington, D.C. Be there or be square. If, if you got a motorcycle and you're even thinking about riding out to any place for Memorial Day, you know, a lot of people like to take rides. They'll go up the five up towards Canada. They'll go out here and there. Go to Washington. If you haven't been there for a, a rolling thunder or a rolling to remember from Memorial Day weekend, this is the year to do it because... We've gone out and demonstrated for the POW and MIAs. And yes, 39 years ago, the first Memorial Day, we were still trying to convince people that there were POWs in Vietnam. There were still people, who Americans, who were missing and probably alive in Vietnam. And then we uncovered the fact that there were 80,000 Americans still missing from World War II and over 8,000 missing from the Korean War. So it's grown, and the significance of it this year, more than ever, is because of what happened at the debacle when we left Afghanistan. And we, left, we don't know how many Americans behind. 
It could be in the hundreds. It could be in the thousands. But even if it's one American, and boy, it's, it's more than one. But even if it is one, that's more than we should tolerate. As Americans and as veterans, we really created a mantra that we will never leave an American behind. And we violated that this year. We did. So show up in Washington this year. The AMVETS have taken over what was Rolling Thunder and is now rolling to remember. And let's remember everyone that was ever lost because Memorial Day is a day that we honor those who gave their lives and their families, those Gold Star families. Let's all get out there to remind this administration and everyone in this country that we are going to remember. First, we have to identify everyone that was left behind in Afghanistan. We have to identify them. We have to find out who they are, where they are. We've got to do everything we can, and we've got to push hard. We don't hear that being talked about any place. That should be an issue on the front burner everywhere. And we just don't hear anything about it. They're trying to be so subdued about what they did in Afghanistan that they just seem to refuse to just have a, a national discussion. We should have an ongoing, constant national discussion about who the Americans are. We should want to know how many there are, how many Americans. And by the way, there were also so many Afghans who helped us and put their lives on the line. They put their lives on the line during the war. Once we said, not only are we getting out, we're just going to turn around and abandon them. We turned around and abandoned over $85 billion in weaponry. Just left it there. We abandoned everything. Bagram Air Base, everything. We abandoned those Americans and the Afghans that worked with us, translators, all kinds of Afghans that believed that Americans were going to be there and defeat the Taliban so they could have a peaceful existence. The same thing we did in Vietnam. And as a Vietnam vet, it's just outrageous that we did the same thing in even a worse a way that was so rude. Turn our back, just like that. So we need to bring this to the attention of the American people and let those families and friends of those people know we're not abandoning them, we're not forgetting them, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that this administration does what it can. I don't know what this administration can do. They just seem so feckless. Now, I know there's another side to that coin. I know that there are people arguing, but I, I don't get how you could look at what they did in Afghanistan and just make up any excuse at all. I don't know how you cannot be totally outraged by what they did. And they're turning their backs and ignoring it like it didn't happen. It doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. And rolling to remember is not going to let them forget, not for a minute. So let's get out there. Let's support Rolling to remember the AMVETs, the AMVETs who've done such a great job of putting this together when it was done, making it happen. Last year, 50,000 bikes. We can't get the Pentagon parking lot. 
They got this RFK Stadium. It's a cool place. Yeah, if you haven't been there, it's kind of cool. It is. It's not as expansive as the Pentagon parking lot. It's not as close to D.C., but it's a damn good ride in. And last year, we had a, a huge escort from the Washington police, whatever the AMVETS put together to make it happen. They did a great job, and I'm sure they're going to do a great job again. So let's get this. It's important. There's a lot of other things that are going on, and I really want to talk more about motorcycle events. Thunder at the beach this year, Panama City, Florida. Why is Panama City, Florida so important to me? I love Panama City, Florida. Being in the Air Force, where we did all our crazy training and stuff was Herbert Field, Eglin Air Force Base, right outside Fort Walton Beach, Florida, which is about 50 miles north of Panama City Beach. And Panama City Beach is a place we used to go to quite frequently when we were down in Fort Walton Beach. Because everybody started knowing me in Fort Walton Beach, that was not good. So we went down to Panama City Beach, had a great time. And now when I go back there, they've got two big motorcycle events. Thunder at the Beach in September, October time frame. Same time as Biketoberfest in Daytona. And then they're going to have this Thunder on the Beach, which I understand is huge, coming up in the next, next month or so. So if you're on the East Coast and you don't want to go to Washington or whatever, um, it's a good time. It's a great place. Panama City Beach is a great page. So some of the other things I want to talk about, what's going on, obviously, in the Ukraine, this SECDEF, Lloyd Austin, suddenly he's saying, he wants to see the Russian military depleted. I could tell him, you want to demoralize them? You want to deplete their military? You want to see it hurt? No, just have them send out a spy network and tell them to look for racists in their troops. Yeah, white nationalists. Russia's made up of, I don't know how many different sects. They speak different languages. They got Muslims. They got the Orthodox Greek religion. They got the Catholics and all kinds of different sects and different things. Do what you're doing to the American military, to them, and uh, maybe that'll do it alone. But the other thing you could do, which is even more obvious right now, give more support to the Ukraine. Give them more weapons, give them more of what they're asking for, and do it on a timely basis. It's like a, a slow drip. It's a day late and a dollar short, but it's more than that. It's a slow drip, and it's endangering the success of the Ukraine. Look, it's been three months. Nobody expected this, and they're actually, if you want to look at it right now, take a picture of it. A picture will show that the Ukrainians are beating the Russians. It's a long shot that they'll end up that way unless we step up what we're giving them and step up the time it's taken to get it to them. We really need to do this. Now, look, I always acknowledge the other side of the coin is there if you want to turn it over or not. And I always acknowledge all the things I hear about Ukraine being corrupt as it was. Look at what Hunter Biden got to be doing there. Look at what the Biden crime family was doing in the Ukraine. Okay. And, and I hear all kinds of things about Zelensky. Fact of the matter is, they are under attack. No, they're not staging 
the things that we're seeing. They're not staging, they're not killing their own people and then trying to present them as victims of Russians. They are victims of what these Russians are doing. That's a fact. That's just the way it is. And right, wrong, or indifferent, it's a sovereign nation, and we should not be allowing sovereign nations to be invaded the way they are. I'm not saying we need to go in there and fight their war, but we made a commitment. We said we're going to back them. We have, but we need to give them much more. And if you want to hurt the Russian military, what better way to do it? This has clearly become a proxy war. The Ukrainians are really fighting for us, for all of NATO. There could be an argument made that NATO ought to look at this and say, we're going to go in there on the side of the Ukrainians. There's probably a really good argument being made on a regular basis to do that. I know that people don't like the idea that, okay, now they're winning. Okay, now we're saying we're going to go in, giving them more stuff. And Oh, yeah, if they were losing this. Well, look at it this way. They have earned our respect. They have earned our willingness to make the investment that they've been asking for. They've earned that. That's also something undeniable. And Zelensky, their president, he's earned our respect. I don't want to look past what was clearly right in front of us and going on right now. There'll be plenty of time for that, and there should be. But for right now, this man's been courageous. He's been a, a real leader. He's the model of what a national leader should be like. This man has really been incredible. Let's look at that. Now, one other thing that really needs to be talked about today, obviously, April 25th, 2022, is going to be a date that people are going to be talking about. This is the date that Elon Musk took over Twitter. He bought Twitter. He owns Twitter. You think that's a big deal? It is. But should these huge and influential businesses be owned or controlled by an individual? I think that's a good question. I think it's a question that we should be asking ourselves. And I'm happy. I'm really happy that Elon Musk has taken Twitter from the people I've had. It seems like, what are you talking about? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all these huge social media businesses are being run by left-wing sycophants. This is the biggest weapon of the cancel culture. And Twitter's maybe the smallest of these big organizations. But it's really important. It's what everybody talks about. Look, I'm not a social media per se. Yeah, I got into Facebook. Petrina got me in there kicking and screaming. They say, if you can do a podcast, you got to get onto Facebook. And she's right. And I should be more, whatever, nimble, knowledgeable, whatever, about that stuff. And I'm not. And that's a fault. It's not a good thing. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that's the way it is. But this is big. And it became really big when Twitter knocked out Trump's account. Trump was huge on Twitter. You know, if they complained about anything, it's that he said things on Twitter that they didn't think it was presidential. And there's a few things. I didn't want to see 
him go to this whole thing up and back with Rosie, whatever her name is. I didn't want to see it. I, there was other things, I guess, he said that other people found offensive. I didn't find it offensive. I found it trivial. Below the station of the President of the United States to put these little personal things out there, I didn't think it was appropriate. But he did, and it was big, and it probably was a small percentage of all the other things. He put himself way out there on Twitter. He exposed everything. This was his fishbowl, and I think it was a good thing. I liked the fact he was out there. It seemed like he'd get up at 3, 4 in the morning and grab his iPhone and Twitter account and just go for it. It's probably not what happened. You got to believe that he had people that were doing this for him. I don't know how those things work. Does he twit to them and they put it together and put it? No idea. But it was a big deal. And canceling the president of the United States while keeping the Ayatollah, a handful of terrorists, and Vladimir Putin on Twitter and canceling your president? Yeah, that elevated this whole Twitter thing to a different place. And so maybe it's not the most important part of it. You know, they hid things like when the New York paper that exposed Hunter Biden, the Post, the New York Post, that's the country's oldest newspaper. And they blocked everything about Hunter Biden that the New York Post exposed about his laptop that they found with all this information. And now it's been declared by the New York Times that it was real information. Yeah, they said it wasn't real because it was Russian disinformation that was put out on Hunter Biden's laptop. And that was what they used to say, oh, this doesn't work. They make a claim that when anybody says the 2020 election was stolen, if that's misinformation. Why is that misinformation if that's my opinion? I'm not trying to claim I'm a scientist. I just see it as an election that was stolen. It's my opinion. I don't think that Joe Biden could have gotten 81 million votes. Now, I'm not going to be able to, you know, look behind the curtain and see all the things that happened in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin. But I know that there are people that have been looking for it. Did they have the evidence and the proof, hard evidence, hard proof? No. But they're looking, they're investigating. They're chasing down all the facts to find out exactly what happened. And while they're doing that, until they show me without a doubt that wasn't rigged, it wasn't fixed, I'm going to absolutely believe it was. You know, even if you want to say the guy that owns Facebook, that he spent, well, how much money? 400-something million dollars? That's influencing an election, and it, it's not right. And it's a big deal. And I should have the right, as an American, to voice my opinion freely, without looking over my shoulder, thinking someone's going to come and get me, or cancel everything, anything. Twitter or anything else. So it's a big deal. And Elon Musk, he's talking a great game. He has from the beginning about everything. Everything he touches seems to turn to gold. He seems like a really good guy. And I don't say seems to mean that he might not be. There's no question 
All the evidence points to the fact that Elon Musk is a great American. By the way, he's an African-American. He was born in South Africa. I mean, that's an interesting point I want to talk about. But I don't want to divert the attention to the fact that he has taken over Twitter. Most of the people who agree with me about life in America think it's the most wonderful thing. And I agree. It is. Okay. But there are other implications because Elon Musk agrees. I agree with him. He agrees with most conservative thinking. And the most important thing to the future of democracy in this democratic republic of the United States of America is free speech. The ability to to worship the way we want, express our opinions. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater when there's no fire. We know that. They have used that as a concept to say, if you state that the election was stolen, you're yelling fire in that crowded theater. And that's just not true. There are opinions that we should be able to pursue them. But does it matter that ongoing we're going to see Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, and that crowd. And then, okay, Twitter now has Elon Musk. What are we going to do going forward? We've got these NGOs, these non-governmental organizations. Now, the good part about that, it's owned, controlled by an individual, not the state, no, not an NGO that has... And I use that term, NGO, non-government organizations. These are big corporate entities, huge corporate entities with a lot of power and influence. But they don't have police. They don't have secret service, tax collectors. They don't have militaries, that's for sure. But you know, what about their alliances? Maybe they're in bed with communists, China, Russia. How do we handle all this going forward? What lessons have we learned? Free speech must be protected. How it's protected is anything more important for the survival of our democracy. And like they say, here's your republic if you can keep it. How will this be handled going forward? Are we going to look for salvation every so often, maybe every generation, every five years, 10 years, whenever? Maybe Elon Musk will have a change of heart in a year or two. We don't know. There's got to be something that's a construct that we can understand. This government is supposed to protect us. We have a constitution. How do we put together something within the framework of our constitution that makes us feel more comfortable that the owners of these big corporations, they've become non-governmental organizations, but they're big. If somebody controls some major segment of our society, how do we protect ourselves so that they don't exert the kind of influence that disrupts our ability to have free speech? There's a lot of issues out there that we want to talk about, and we have all kinds of opinions about climate change. 
the war in the Ukraine, communism versus capitalism, energy, gas and oil exploration pipelines versus electricity and nuclear power. There's so much going on. All these opinions versus selecting by whom. It's great. Now we are the Elon Musk. Good. But again, what are we doing to ensure that no matter who it is, that we're going to be able to see all sides, both sides, three sides, five sides, every opinion out there, without somebody censoring anything that isn't actually yelling fire in a crowded theater when no one's there, or when, I'm sorry, when there is no fire, okay? I mean, CRT, gender fluidity, election integrity, illegal aliens versus undocumented. These are issues. This is important to me. I want to be able to talk about this crisis at the border and be able to use the terms. I mean, everybody talks about, oh, what noun are we going to use? His, hers. I don't want to be censored that way. I want to be able to say anything any way I want to say it. If I'm insulting somebody, I didn't say it to insult them. I said it because I believe that people coming across our border are illegal and they're aliens to the United States of America. I don't want to feel any kind of self-conscious about saying that. You want to call them undocumented? Well, go ahead. I'm not stopping you, but don't make me feel like I need to say that too because I don't believe it. They don't have documents because they're illegal. And they're aliens. They're not undocumented good guys. They're undocumented because they are illegal. And we should be able to be totally clear about that if that's what we think. And that's what I think. Healthcare. I want to be able to talk about healthcare. It's a big issue. They're pushing this. National health care, I think it's a disaster. Single payer, it's a disaster. How about we talk about tort reform once in a while? Tort reform, yeah. We have lawyers running amok. You can't go down the road without seeing big billboards about seeing this guy or that girl or this one. <sighs> Not only ambulance chases, they are trying to get anybody and everybody they can as customers, they're not clients, they're customers. TV ads, everywhere you look. We need to have some tort reform. If the legal world wants to call their industry a profession, they should act like a profession. They should act professional. There should be things that guide them. And I don't think this advertising is something that's healthy. I get the argument. I remember back when they couldn't, and now they can. Beer companies are limited. Liquor companies are limited. Cigarette companies are limited. Well, we should have tort reform. How about this white supremacy thing? Look, the fact of the matter is CRT. The New York Times pushing this 1619 project. What a crock that is. We should be able to, I am able. Here I am freely talking about it. But if I talked about it on Twitter yesterday, I would have been censored. Yes, I've 
spent my time in what, quote-unquote, Twitter jail. Yeah, I've been thrown off. You know, we had our YouTube channel. We got thrown off YouTube. I got thrown off Twitter. I've been putting, put the, yeah, they call it Twitter jail. You think it's funny? I don't think it's funny. I think it's horrible. What is Elon Musk going to do? Let's give him a minute. This is an oligarch. Yeah. I don't mean in a bad way necessarily. I mean, it could be a bad thing. Let's look at it. Let's understand it. Yeah, I'm joyous. Yes, it's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But there's a big but. You got to look beyond what's clear and obvious. The relief that we, conservatives, people that generally vote for Republicans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been held down, beat up, and certainly have been canceled way too much. And this is a great thing. But is it what we want forever? No, I don't think so. How can government guarantee our free speech? And then the other question is, it brings out something else that I want to talk about just for a minute. Elon Musk, born in South Africa, is African-American. Now, we have a hero, a real hero, gave his life. Specialist Bishop Evans, okay, a national guardsman. Is he African-American? I don't want to think of him as African-American. I don't think it was ever meant as anything derogatory. He's a fellow American. He's black. He's a black American. I'm a white American. He's a black American. I don't care. He's an American. I don't ever want to hyphenate somebody's Americanism. I just don't. And I guess today, the juxtaposition of these two things happening, the discovery of the body of this hero, Bishop Evans, 22-year-old kid. I look at him as a, a great fellow American who gave his life for this country in service to this country to save two immigrants, refugees, whatever he thought at that moment in his head that he was doing, God bless him. And I want to respect what he was thinking at that moment. I do. But I also don't want to think of him. Now, when I, I could jokingly talk about Elon Musk being an African-American. He's an African-American. Yeah. Because he was born in Africa. But are my ancestors Russian-Americans because they were born in Russia? They came here. They got their citizenship in this country. They worked hard for that. Years. They couldn't speak or read the language for a long time. They worked hard to be American, not to be Russian-Americans, to be American. And I, I just think maybe we ought to start rethinking all this hyphenation. I don't want to look at Ukrainian-Americans. There will be some. I don't want to look at Russian-Americans and maybe look at them in some way that associate them with what's going on in Putin's Russia today. You know, my grandmother, growing up, she grew up in Russia. After World War I, the Russian Revolution, she came here with three kids, had two babies here in America. 
But when she was growing up, she saw the atrocities that were going on in Russia then. And used to tell me about that when I was a five, six, seven-year-old kid. She would tell me about what it was like in Russia, why they left Russia, why America is this great country. And living on the Lower East Side, they had nothing. They had nothing. They used to say, we don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they loved it. They loved it. The opportunity, the freedom. The freedom compared to what? How do you measure it? You measure it when you have something to measure it against. And they had that. And so to call somebody today a Russian-American, I think of my grandmother, my grandparents, all of them. And it just doesn't seem right to associate them in any way, shape, or form with Russia today, with Putin. And if I think of them in that way, that's what happened. We're all Americans. What happened to the melting pot? This identity politics where everybody's, you know, whatever has to be dissected, identified, and then referred to. Yeah, I know there's Italian-American organizations and the police organizations called the Shamrock Society and all this. I get all that. But I don't think that the people who just go out living their daily lives as Americans want that to be what brands them or who they are. But you think of me, I don't want to be identified by my religion or where my parents or my grandparents came from. I have friends who were born actually in Russia, several of them. I have a friend who was born in Ukraine, came here about 10 years ago. And the best possible compliment I could pay them is calling them fellow Americans. I could say, hey, you're a great American. And that's how I think of them. And that's the way it should be. I talked a few podcasts ago about how the involvement of these identities, how we used to call blacks, you know, Negroes, colored people, this, <laughs> it's evolved. Maybe it should evolve that we just call ourselves Americans and be done with it. And then if you want to identify somebody in their looks and their characteristics, for whatever reason, I get that. But how do you know if somebody's black, if their ancestors actually came from Africa? Maybe they came from Haiti. I don't know, wherever else people might have come from. Anyway, it's just something I've been thinking about today. A bunch of thoughts come to my head as I celebrate. But I think before we celebrate things, we ought to be looking at it again. Johnny Depp got me into this mode. He's still on TV. He's still on trial. It's ongoing. The depth of depravity. I, <laughs> I don't dislike the guy. I totally dislike a lot of things he does. It's obviously it's depravity. But I don't know if he's a bad person. I guess we'll figure that out after the trial. I guess we'll have to see this whole thing. Like we have to see everything else. And we have to look at it with this transparency. We are blessed in this day and age with the ability to use all these things 
whether it's TV, whether it's social media, whether it's Facebook and Twitter and everything, Instagram, Wikipedia, Google, we can find these things out that's at our fingertips. We need to put them to use. We need to understand, we need to see what's out there before we blindly accept either people or products or anything else. We have the ability to do it like we've never had before. And in so many cases, we've been ignoring it and we need to learn we should ignore it no more. I'm New York Mike. Thanks for not ignoring me. I appreciate it. And I want to remind you once again, rolling to remember Memorial Day. Let's remember everyone who ever gave their lives so we can have this wonderful life in this amazing country. I'm New York Mike. This is Roll Right Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.